Hello and welcome to the O&M Stockroom. We're your hosts, Brian McGarry and Ken O'Malley. Tonight is episode 16 of Complimentary Cinema. If you are new to the channel, Complimentary Cinema is a program where we review and discuss films that you can watch for free that are available on YouTube. Be warned, we discuss these films in detail, so please consider this a full spoiler alert. Uh, tonight's film is, what the hell is this thing called? Riverworld from 2003. Uh, this was your turn to pick. We just kind of both looked at it and said, like, hey, why not this one, you know? Yeah, the the, the first handful of movies I looked at didn't look interesting. And uh, then this one was like, okay. There was uh, one you were looking at that had Tom Hanks from like 1982 and we're like, hey, you know, it, it, you know, monsters and mazes. And, uh, and we immediately looked at it and we're like, we don't want to watch a TV movie. So what we ended up doing was uh, we ended up picking another TV movie. Yes. We made a lateral move. We made a lateral move. Apparently we should maybe rename this channel the, the sci-fi uh, schlock review because that seems to be what we've been doing. The sci-fi TV movie film. The sci-fi TV movie film with bad CGI brought to you every week here on Complimentary Cinema. So uh, anyway, so this film came out in 2003. It was directed by uh, Kari Skoglund, um, written by Philip Jose Farmer and Stuart Hazeldean. Our cast of characters are Brad Johnson as Jeff Hale, Karen Holness as Molly, Emily Lloyd as Alice Hargreaves, Jeremy Birchall as Lev Rauch, uh, Kevin Smith as Valdemar, not the Kevin Smith you're thinking of. This is actually like Kevin Smith from Wish, not Kevin Smith from Clerks. Uh, and then uh, Cameron Dotto as Sam Clemens, Jonathan Cake as Nero, and you got a bunch of other random people with you know, one or two lines here and there. So, uh, what's a good rundown for this film here? Um, this was a kind of, um, sci-fi-ish alternate universe-ish kind of interesting movie. Um, the basic premise that, which we learned pretty quick is that everyone who is on whatever planet this is has died. And they are people from throughout Earth's history, all from Earth, but they're on some kind of other planet. They didn't go to hell. They didn't go to heaven. They came to some kind of uh, uh, New Zealand-ish purgatory that looks like it's straight from the set of Xena and or Hercules. Uh, the costuming and the, uh, the whole vibe of it really is like lifted directly from those productions. So if you are if you are familiar with those shows, then you know exactly visually what this will uh, will look like and feel like. So they end up on this planet. Well, yeah, the beginning. Our our kind of main character is the um, Hale Jeff Hale, and uh, he is an astronaut, and he died in the middle of an astronaut mission and on a space shuttle um, that was hit by like a meteor. The Space Shuttle Frontier in the year 2009. Yes. So uh, he's kind of our main character. We see everything through his kind of point of view. And uh, he just wakes up in, in like this weird egg underwater. And uh, some weird shadowy figure has woken him up and kind of like given him some of his some future visions. 
I, uh, so like, like the, that opening. Okay. So, so that underwater, <laughs> that underwater scene is ridiculous. It's like, they're like, uh, it's almost like he's like an embryo inside of like a, a womb sack, an egg sack or something. The first thing and I said is like matrix. Like it, it looked like it was straight out of the matrix. It's, like he was about to wake up inside the matrix. It's incredibly matrixy. And then you have the ghost of Christmas future from Scrooge to come up with this big staff and he just pokes him in the forehead uh, through this gelatinous case that he's, he's stuck in. And for a minute, like I thought he actually like punctured the guy's head and killed him again. But no, it wasn't quite that bad. But yeah, he gave him like visions of something and he ends up, uh, you know, breaking out of this little cocoon. He rises to the surface, ends up on a beach. Yeah. So uh, on the beach, there's, well, he's completely naked and he finds like a metal canister that has some clothes in it. Uh, So he puts the clothes on and then he notices there's a bunch of other people coming out of the water and they're all confused and none of them are, uh, it's just like pandemonium and chaos. And they, none of them know each other or they don't have, they understand each other, but they all come from different cultures and, and countries and time periods. So it's just kind of chaos. What I found really interesting about that, that first scene. So they all come out of the water naked, but you don't see anything. It was really, really well done, actually. Like you see a little bit of side boob, you see some butt, but you don't see any of the business. Yeah. You know, it's you see a couple of very skin-colored loincloths, but for the most part, I mean, it's an it's a, it's an effective uh, effective little gimmick. It gives you the hint of of nudity without actually showing you anything. Yeah, it's just you know, it's just to show the just how crazy things are. Everyone's like knocking each other over, and uh, they're just trying to get just scrambling, just trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Got to get these uh, metal canisters with their clothes and. Uh, it's also worth noting that some, like the people are different ages, but they all come out kind of the same age. So like in the past, like the one lady had been 87 or something like that. And she's, she looks like she's 30 and same for another, you know, another person. They all, they don't look their actual ages. Um, yeah. They've, they've all been resurrected in at their, basically the prime of their life. One lady died in like 1934. Another woman is like from the 16th or 17th century. You have a, a Neanderthal man mm-hmm. who isn't technically human, but you know, so it goes. But yeah, so you have many different walks of life. A, a Roman. A Roman, a citizen of Rome, whom we later find out is supposedly the Emperor Nero. He and our main character, Jeff, kind of get into it over, you know, Nero's treatment of the Neanderthal. Because, you know, the guy's a Neanderthal and he's a little bit gruff. He right? just wants the food. He just wants the food and he's kind of... Oh, well, we, we skipped over that part. Oh, well, they find that these metal canisters have clothes in it. So they put them all on. And then they also find that there's like this large torch kind of beacon. And when they go up to the beacon, it has holes that the canisters fit in. And when they put the canister in, it comes back out with food in it. And the Neanderthal wanted somebody else's food, and there's a scuffle, and that's how we are introduced to we find out is Nero. And he and uh, the lead, Jeff, kind of get into it, and they fight a little bit, and just kind of, you know, just immediately it's like, you know, this guy's just kind of a jerk. Why is he being a jerk? And you kind of roll your eyes a little bit. Yeah. that's that, 
it sets up the rest of the movie. It's kind of the, the difference between someone who's looking out for everyone and someone who wants to rule everyone. Uh, you know, I just want to be in charge versus I want everyone to to just live and, and do well. And uh, kind of that ideology battle throughout the, the rest of the film. Yes. And just as all of these people kind of get themselves situated, they got some food, they got some clothes... Uh, the writers of Rohan show up, evil Rohan, not the good Rohan, show up and basically like, hey, welcome to Riverworld. Uh, real quick, you know, we're a bunch of of evil tribal people and we're going to make the strongest and best of you, you know, warriors, and we're going to enslave or kill the rest of you. So here we go. And then they all get ferried off to uh, to Rohan. I mean, Helm's Deep. I mean... A bad CGI model on top of a Rossi mock, uh, mossy rock <laughs> in uh, New Zealand. With waterfalls. In the With background. waterfalls in the background. Uh, really not to scale either. At least, you know, I mean, it is kind of a fantasy film, but it, it was not a convincing effect. But, you know, there's not much in here that is convincing. So anyway, there's a uh, Valdemar is the uh, the leader of the the Vandals, this group of people that are basically just kind of roaming river world looking for fresh meat to swell their ranks. They make either soldiers or slaves of whoever they find. So, you know, I'm assuming this has happened before. People come out of the water. They're all confused, you know, or whatever they come from. And then they just are being taken advantage of. And we find out that Valdemar, the leader of the Vandals, has been on river world for 10 years. So... People have been popping up out of these weird gelatinous eggs out of the water for 10 years. And he's like... Minimum. They don't know of anyone who's been around longer than that. That's kind of our like oldest bound. Yeah. Yeah, because we find another character that says he was there for 10 years as well. So maybe it's kind of hinted that that was the first crop. Mm -hmm. But you never know. No. I don't think uh, the, the Roanoke colonists survived much. You know, it's... There may have been lost crops of humans earlier on. But the oldest we know about is 10 years old. And we're dwelling on this point far too long. <laughs> it is of no consequence. No. I digress. The, 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 these people, they're not living very great. It's it's kind of like medieval conditions. Um, apparently, they have some kind of farming and uh, that kind of thing. But they don't really have much for... They've been... Uh, the other thing about this planet is there's like a lot of meteors... A lot of meteor strikes, and they, they mine the ore for iron right. for weapons. And apparently, uh, some of these meteors contain palladium, a very valuable uh, mineral. So they have like kind of these this land in between where there's these giant craters. And then like the river area is the safe area because it's kind of like got the hills protecting it. So that's kind of the, the, the reason, I guess, that they stayed in the river. Also, too, like uh, the mountains beyond are... Sp- uh, cannot be climbed for whatever reason. They never really tell you, but they, they suggest that maybe the air is too thin. Mm-hmm. Very thin atmosphere on the on this planet. Right. So they just follow the course of the river. Yep. So the river is a safe place to be, and that's why it's just river world. That's the only part that they can inhabit. So uh, the bad guys, I mean, it's kind of like, a not a joke, but like he's just... It's just over the top, like, you know, everyone's going to fight each other to the death, and whoever survives is going to be my soldier. I, 
it was kind of disappointing. You know, I, I was hoping for a little more dimension from the villain in this film than that. But he really is a very one dimensional guy. He's very like, ha ha ha, I'm evil. And look how evil I'm going to be. Yeah. And then, uh, unfortunately, though, Nero gets uh, caught up with the rest of the new folks and gets selected to, to fight in this little tournament to see if he can, you know, if, if he can win. And they establish in, in his initial fight with our hero, Jeff, that, uh, you know, he he fights to win. So, of course, you know, he absolutely like mauls his contender and, uh, you know, succeeds. And then he calls out one of the people up in the rafters, one of uh, Valdemar's little henchmen. And, you know, he basically, you know, recognizes him as somebody from ancient Rome, from his era. And the guy's like, you know, then he announces that he is Nero. And, you know, the guy's like, oh, hell, Nero. And some commotion ensues. And Nero is this badass who basically fights Valdemar in the ring and kills Valdemar. And this is where I have some serious problems with this uh, film. The historical historical accuracy of who Nero was versus this on-screen portrayal of him. It's like they just picked a random uh, a random name out of a history book and we're like, all right, we're going to make that our our Roman emperor for this story. Well, plus I think it was like they also picked one that you could point at and say that guy's definitely evil. You know what I'm saying? Like sure. he's a, he, Nero's a well-known, not great guy. So I think more it was that angle probably they went for. They wanted to pick a name that people would associate with with a bad guy. But I mean, the fact that he, he's not like this badass soldier, like the real Nero, uh, there's nothing like this character. Yeah, in, the, in the, the, the real Nero was like effeminate and obsessed with the theater and. I believed he liked to act, and he I mean, just, you know, he also, wasn't... Also mentally unstable, so I guess that, that part was was closer. A lot, a lot of them were mentally unstable. I mean, like, so, like, the, the way that Nero is portrayed in this film is like Caligula. That's who they wanted. Mm-hmm. Why didn't they just make him Caligula and not Nero? I don't know. They needed to do just a little more homework on who the crappiest emperor was. Mm-mm. You know, because they're kind of blaming, you know, they even blame Nero later in the film for like, oh, the fall of Rome and everything else. I'm telling you, like Caligula was a, a huge low point in, in, in Roman history. Nero comparatively is like a footnote. Like everyone despised Caligula. But that's, you know, just that's who that's who this character should have been. So from now on, I'm going to call him Caligula <laughs> because... Oh, Nero no. just doesn't Nero just doesn't cut it. Caligula is is the bad guy really ultimately. Well anyway. Anyway. The the, the point is that this the new Roman emperor challenger uh takes over the bad guy operation. And uh at this point the good guys have escaped through a secret tunnel. Um and are there's like this other faction that we've seen kind of in the shadows that's um they were kind of whispering around yeah. they were whispering around like oh we need to go save them because while they were while they were captured they also met an alien and a little girl and the, the this was the first time that there's no children on this planet none except for this this one little girl who doesn't speak and then th- this alien was apparently like came to earth to warn 
the people on earth that there was going to be an apocalypse basically and the people on earth didn't believe them and they got stranded there so they died with the whole planet and that's why they, they they're here is because they died on earth in the year 2039 as i recall yes so folks we have a mere 18 years left yes make the best of it believe the alien guy when he comes yeah so let, let's let's that's talk the moral of the story let's talk about the alien guy for a minute to that uh uh monat played by brian moore mm-hmm. so he's he's our token singular alien extraterrestrial that we know of that we can identify correct the shadowy figure in, in the hood could be presumably is also some kind of other force non-human we'll say yeah so monad it's like they took like a rubber mask, pulled it really tight over his face, told him to talk like in, in a slightly hypnotic but very monotone voice, and then just twitch his head once in a while. The twitching is super, super obnoxious. It, it is super obnoxious. He'll be, he'll be talking very slowly and deliberately and then jerk his head just slightly to the... I can't remember if it was to the left or the right, but Le- it's... Yeah, like left and right. It's like it's... I, I didn't... I should have like... I, I should have kept a tally of how many times it twitched and what direction it twitched. It would have driven you crazy. It would have driven me crazy, though. So it's probably best that I don't immediately put this movie back on when we're done recording and make note. <laughs> but that would have been that would have been an interesting uh, so bit of research. The alien alien character isn't that interesting, other than that he has you know more advanced technology he knows of. So these the people he's he's with that are friendly we're trying to make an engine with the you know his knowledge but using palladium right as a as a uh, source of fuel i mean monat's real uh his real function in the story is just to get the new good guys into the camp with the old old good guys right and then be the uh the source of the, of the information to make this Riverboat, uh, functional, uh, a, a palladium fu- cold fusion powered steamboat. Yes. So yeah, the 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 people, the good people, we're trying to get to. They have the riverboat. They are, um, like the the bad guys don't have boats really. Like they have a couple little we dinky saw boats. We saw like a, a canoe. You yeah, know, basically, yeah. yeah. Um. So this riverboat is like the only really real river craft it's meticulously built too i mean they they spared no expense yeah even the floor like in the uh the captain's quarters is like black and white tiled mm-hmm. just amazing to do in a mere 10 years on a planet with no existing technology it's very fancy it's incredibly fancy you know a lot of fancy woodwork too yeah you know it's a beautiful ship but it took them a long time to make the mechanical parts because they have to go steal the the metal yes um from from these the vandals vandals and from whatever meteor kind of you know materials they can get their hands on and uh so they've got the engine built but they can't power it because they don't have the palladium Uh, oh but guess where there is a lot of palladium it turns out that there's palladium at the vandals hideout or their headquarters on the throne yes. of what was Valdemar, I can't Valdemar? Valdemar's throne, which is now Nero's, sorry, Caligula's throne. So Kevin Sorbo, I mean, Jeff, 
takes a, takes another guy from the good guy camp and they go to try to sneak into uh to Val I guess what what's what are we calling this place? The Valdemar headquarters. Sure. You know, the Fortress of Doom. Yeah, it's just the bad guy there's fort. There's just not really yeah, there's not really a name for it in, in this film, but you know, so so they go back to, you know, It's the Ro- only town in the whole thing. They go back to Rohan yeah. to steal the palladium from Caligula's throne. <laughs> and they don't get very far because they're immediately captured. And then you find out that the guy that Jeff is with are I use the term hero loosely. Our hero, his companion, turns out to be a double agent, which you know, I mean the guy was just kind of a jerk to begin with, so it's not like a it's not like a a heel turn like this isn't really surprising. It's just like, oh no. It just it moves the plot ahead. It in a very utilitarian way. So then they go and then they raid the good guys' camp and people get captured and blah blah. They 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 take over the boat and they're gonna use it for their own you know nefarious purposes. Caligula is convinced that if he has such a great boat like this, he can go and find other camps of other humans, right, and enslave them too. He wants to make a new Rome where you know it's modeled after him and he'll have control over everything. How boring. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty lame. Yeah, it's pretty lame. But that that's what the guy wants. You know, never mind the fact that he's already got like a vicious army. He's got a bunch of people, a bunch of slaves. The only actual settlement that we have seen. And he he's hell bent on kicking up tents. I don't know. What he, I don't know what he's after here. <laughs> he just want, uh, he wants to be in charge and, you know, only what he wants matters. That's all it is, really. How Roman. Yeah. So it, it turns out, you know, he's going to he's going to kill the people, the uh some of the people and everyone else he's just like putting in storage and he's going to just take them along and they don't really say where he wants to go or like what he's going to yeah, do I mean, they, exactly. They don't have like a destination in mind. They're just like, yeah. "Oh, we'll go like once we get the engine running." Yeah, go where who knows. I mean, we we know where the good guys wanted to go. Yeah. Sam, the guy who was the the de facto leader of the original group of good guys. By original, I mean the ones that have been there for years, you know, and the ones who built and designed the steamboat. They just want to go downriver. Right. Just kind of, you know, cruise around. Our Jeff Hale slash Kevin Sorbo type wants to be like, oh, I had a dream about this. We're going to go upriver because there's like spooky, shadowy, hooded figures and and snow and snow and stuff. You know, don't you want to know where the source of this is? And, he wants you know, to find the answers. He wants to find the answers. And Sam's like, I didn't have answers in my old life. Why, why am I going to go look for him in this one? Right. You know, and I, I, it's hard to argue with that. He just wants to be a riverboat captain. He just wants to be a river. He wants to be Steamboat Willie, you know, just going down the Missouri. Just the Mississippi. The Mississippi, whatever. The, the, the body of water in River World. I wonder what, what what would you name that river? I don't know, big big river. <laughs> it's not even that wide, honestly. It's really for, not for I being mean, quote river world. It looks like it's a pretty creek narrow at the time, yeah. So anyway, so Caligula comes in. You know, they take over the camp, they enslave everybody, put a bunch of people in the hold. Long story short, the little girl is manages to free our hero, who then. Sneaks in and starts a plot to, you know, it's just all very whatever. From that point. From that point it, on, it, it's just. It, it wrote itself. It really you know, wrote it's a big fight. 
Even some of the dialogue I was hearing in my head before I heard it with my ears. Yeah. You know, there's a fight. The people you expect to die die. The people you hope don't die manage to live. You know, the good guys win. They shoot some rockets. They shoot some rockets that Monat helped, you know, the fancy alien came up with. And I, you know, and we were looking at the time. And like at one point we had like six, less than six minutes left. And we're like, there's no answers yet. See, I felt like the movie was the villain and I was the good guy looking for answers. And the movie was like, no. It's like, I didn't find any answers in the last movie. Why am I going to go looking for them in this movie? Right. So we we just knew that we were not going to get answers at the end of this movie. Yeah. So they, uh, so like right at the end, the good guys prevail, the good guys prevail. And, you know, Jeff comes in and he talks to Sam and he confronts Sam about his real identity, which is actually Mark Twain. Right. Yes. Mark Twain is in fact, the guy who's been leading the original group of good guys and built the steamboat and just wants to relive or re-explore that that aspect of his of his existence and not focus on the literary side. And they kind of agree that, you know, the Kevin Sorbo wannabe is going to be the new leader of the people, and they go upriver. And then you see a flashback to a group of uh, shadowy figures, and they're like, their journey has begun, but will it be completed? And it's like, no, because this movie has no sequel. <laughs> and even the book that it's based on isn't even apparently all that close to what what we saw on film today yeah so i uh... yeah we didn't know apparently this is based on a book series um and apparently there's a, a, a wide gap of difference between what happened in the book and what happened in the movie so it's just kind of its own thing and it just ends and then that's where we're left and that, off that's where we're at you know and uh yeah so they I mean, left the door open for a sequel but we will never have one alas yeah, they, 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 man, they tried really hard to set it up for that, too. Yeah. The CGI in this film is very uh, typical for this era, you know, 2003. For for a TV movie. For a TV movie that I think was filmed in New Zealand. They don't, I don't, the stuff I looked at didn't really tell us, but I mean, it's got that Xena and Hercules level of production. It's mostly good enough because really the CG is mostly used for the in-between scenes. And not too much for the action scenes. Which is a huge plus, I think, because even a lot of the establishing shots don't overuse it either. You yeah. Know, it's, they, only, they only use it when they absolutely have to, which I like. They use it for the city, the wide shots of the city, the wide shots of the boat, the you know just the big stuff. And the action's all up close and people like doing stuff. On actual sets and actual places. Yeah. Like there's a... You know, they did cut some corners, though. I mean, there's a we see that establishing establishing a shot of that, you know, that city slash fort on the mountaintop like three, four times. And they seem to tromp through the same section of woods in different scenes. But it's the same section of woods that they, they keep showing. Yep, They reuse locations. Yeah. So, I mean, there, you know, there's definitely some cost cutting there. And uh, the costumes definitely, I'm sure, came from. Like Hercules and Xena. Mm-hmm. Like they, they definitely scream that. They got them on loan. They really did, yeah. But um, overall, I mean, the, the production value is acceptable, yeah, I would say. absolutely. You know, it's certainly, it's not, there was nothing in there that was so bad that was distracting like it has happened in some of these other films we've been watching. Right. Nothing was important enough to the story. I think that was the kind of the key. Like the boat looked pretty good. 
and that was kind of the big set piece um going into the third act the the city looked pretty good for what it was for just like a kind of crappy medieval city um the actual sets they built were good yeah like they you know the costumes were decent the sets they actually built were good i mean really it was just those kind of two areas and then everything else was woods and beach and river yeah so yeah really which worked in their favor really pretty well done you know and then the uh just going back to the very beginning even the initial astronaut scene that we see mm. with Jeff and his uh, co-pilot wasn't bad. Um, they took a little bit of liberty with the design of the space shuttle. Like they changed the cargo area, but it's uh, easily identifiable as a space shuttle. Um, they had a fairly accurate cockpit. They had a fairly accurate uh, flight suits, you know, so there was, you know, they, they, they did pay some attention to the details, mm-hmm. you know, which I liked. You didn't feel going into it. I didn't feel like I was doomed to be watching two hours of crap. Yeah. You know, like the people who made it tried, you know, Definitely. Uh, you can't say that for every one of these kind of movies we've watched. No, some of them are, are, are downright dreadful, but this was pretty good and in, like, in that regard. And like the, the acting was pretty good. Um, a couple, a couple stand out, I would say here and there, um, Right, well, let's talk about that for a minute. Like, uh, what, what are what are your picks for the standouts on this one? I mean, Nero was like way over the top, but I thought he was pretty good. Um, as far as just being over the top, he was good. You know, his his kind of crazy range. He didn't get over the top right away, though. There really was a a, a slow and steady build to that yes. because when you first see him, he's just an asshole yep. from Rome. Yep, and it's like, oh, another Roman asshole. But as you know, you get to know him more and you see him more and you see his kind of treachery and his underhandedness, it does escalate in a really nice um, fashion, I thought. Mm-hmm. So it's like by the time he gets over the top, you've been with him all the way. So it's not it's not really over the top in some sense. Right. And it's like a natural progression. Like, you know what to expect, like betrayal from the beginning. Yes. And then the betrayals just get bigger and bigger. Yeah, and he, he just gets shittier and shittier, you know. But in a in a one thing one thing I, I did like was that you know when they first introduced Valdemar as like the lead bad guy, I'm like, oh shit, like he, you know he looks pretty tough and everything. And you think like you think like that's the villain, right? Like boom, there he is. That's the villain of this story. Mm-hmm. And this guy who's just an asshole, he's going to be this other. He's going to be the good guy's best friend here in in just a little bit. <laughs> no, nope, <laughs> no. So like. You know, my mind went in a very different direction on that one. Yeah. So it was kind of, I kind of like that. I couldn't call it right from the beginning on that. Yeah, definitely agreed. And his, uh, but yeah, I definitely think the guy who played Nero definitely was, he's my pick for the best of the bunch on this one. Yeah, for sure. Our um, uh, Brad Johnson, who played Jeff Hale, he's not been in a whole lot. He was in Flight of the Intruder in 91 with Danny Glover and Willem Dafoe, a Vietnam era war film. They play a, uh, he and Willem Dafoe are buddy pilots. And I remember seeing that film as a kid and I liked it, but I can't, did not recognize anything else he's done. He gave a very, very earnest performance. Um, I think he, he was just like kind of realistic in a way. Um, but he wasn't really that interesting. He's not interesting at all. He's the very, uh, he's, he's just lightly buttered toast. He's the, uh, he's the, he's the square jawed, you know, honest, Mr. American hardworking man. Mr. America. And it's like, let's just stick him in there. Yeah. And, you know, and it's... Which he, he was effective at rallying people together and yeah, whatnot. I mean, I mean, he really is as as interesting and exciting. Okay, 
So I think Kevin Sorbo kind of sucks. Yeah, definitely as a human on the hall. As you know, certainly as a human, as an actor, he's he's crap. But he's I did I did I didn't really watch Hercules growing up because every time I did, I couldn't stand Kevin Sorbo. Mm-hmm. Not gonna lie, he's a better version of Kevin Sorbo in a way. Mm-hmm. He's got the same like square jawed like masculine like beefcake kind of thing going on. But he's first off, he doesn't have the bad hair, mm-hmm. and I don't want to punch his face every time I see him. <laughs> So those are definitely two pluses that he has. Um, there's also like a, a pseudo love interest with Emily Lloyd's character, Alice. You know, she's uh, she's kind of introduced as like this, you know, she's the, the old woman who's young, who's English. And, you know, her and, you know, Jeff, can, you know, they have like little sparks and nothing really ever comes to that. No. In the end, it's, it's not really important to this story. Yeah, as far as if it, if it could have developed in the future, maybe it would have been something. But uh, for this story, yeah, it's not really that important. Yeah, it's really not that important. And apparently, also, this film is only the first few chapters of like the first book. Mm-hmm. So you know, of what is apparently a five book series. A, so. a five book series. So we're only getting just a little taste of that. And I, I gotta say, I if they made a sequel of this, I would totally watch it. Yeah, because you know, I, you know, if it was with the same people and everything, you know, cause I think that'd be interesting. I think as far as like kind of low budget TV ish movies, this one was definitely very watchable. Um, it didn't like it didn't at no point did I expect it to impress me, and um, I wouldn't say it ever did, but it it, it definitely kept us interested. Um, the writing wasn't terrible, which is we normally experience in these kind of movies. Um, it's definitely in the top half of the, of the things that we've been watching on this so far. Yeah. Um, like, you know, I went to high school in the nineties, late nineties, and there was a lot of this kind of stuff on like USA and occasionally even on, on, uh, Oregon public broadcasting, you know, you would just have like that level of production of like fantasy stuff and everything. And it was, it was you know, enjoyable. Didn't necessarily like stick with you. You know, you didn't like wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, like needing more. It was just, you know, it was kind of good, fun entertainment. And that's kind of what this is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's enjoyable. There's n- not really any real bad acting. It's... Well, like some, some of my only complaints is just the, like the fact that it was made for a TV format. So there's like the commercial break breaks. Oh, there's a lot of commercial break spots. So yeah. they, they, you know, it's it's set up for that where it's like that one moment where they try to build the tension up to where like he drops the sword. Oh yeah, that was a weird scene. And then it was a break because it, it you know, originally it was on it was TV, like, so that was a break for the commercial. So it, they were trying to build it up as a big suspenseful moment, but it really wasn't that like, you know, it the it pacing wasn't. the pacing of it really fell apart there too cuz like there's there's like a close up of him like uh, of Jeff gripping the sword and then it like slow-mos and then you look back at their eyes and then the sword drops and it was just kind of the way that it was it was paced was really weird. But like most of the breaks were fine. Yeah. That most, was the only one that was really jarring. I, we had to go back and look at that one again. It was like, what What exactly just, what, what happened there? Yeah. It was interesting editing choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's just a very functional movie. Um, they kept us entertained all the way through to the end. I, I, was, I was more disappointed knowing that we wouldn't get a resolution just because I think it could have you know, they could have done it. Like they could have gotten there eventually if they had made more of this. So it's too bad, you know, cause it would have been a, for, you know, like a TV movie series, which, you know, has, has many precedents over the decades, you know, that could have been a thing. 
You know, they could have made like, you know, two or three of these. I think if you've made this now, you could probably, you know, now people are used to binge watching stuff and you could probably make it pretty, pretty well now. Oh, Apparently yeah. they did make remake, whatever you want to call it. They, they made an, uh, some kind of other series in 2010, um, some kind of mini series. No idea if, if it was any good either, but um, I think now you could definitely make that and people will probably like it, you know. The problem is, though, if they made it now, it would not have all of the like late 90s, early 2000s charm that this one has. That's true. Because this one has, it has that vibe of the production of those shows I've mentioned, mm-hmm. which I liked. Yeah. And for me, is nostalgic. And also, there's a lot of it that's not useless CGI. Mm-hmm. If you were to watch this now, if they made it now, it would be like 75% CGI. You'd have actors in front of blue screens or, or sorry, green screens. And everything would have like a filter over it for, you know, additional visual effect. <laughs> and it would look like ass. Fair enough. And they would have cut out, I think, probably more of the interesting bits. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's not necessarily any real world building bits, but I mean... There's, there's some. Even, there's there's, even, we, there's, there's some. even a moment, you know, like where Sam and the little mute girl have a moment. Yeah. Like they immediately, they would have cut that out. They would have cut out a lot of these nice little exchanges that we have. And then it just, so I don't know. I mean, if they did it now, I, I just don't have a lot of hope that it would be good. Mm-hmm. But I am also an angry old man yelling at the sky. So <laughs> what do I know? I think my only real complaint as far as this production within their time frame and like what they would have done is I think I would have done something different with the alien. I think the alien was just like, it ended up just being another character that wasn't really that different than the other people, except for that he had the technology and he looked weird. And he had that, that really bad twitch, you know? But you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. He didn't really act any different than everyone else, and he wasn't really important other than the fact that he had technology. You know, he even, uh, he has an exchange with Jeff, you know, earlier on in the film where, you know, he makes it clear that he and Jeff have very different situations. It's like he's alone on that planet. There's no, you know, he has no family. He has no, there's no, there's no others like him. He's all by himself. Right. He has no hope of ever being reunited with others like him. And he states really clearly, like, I have no hope. But we never really figure out what his, uh, what, what is driving him to help these humans? What is driving him to be on whatever particular side he decides to be on. I think it also would have been interesting to have a a bit of a redemption arc as far as, you know, Captain Hale kind of restores his hope or his like faith in humanity, you know, because the the humans from his time, you know, they just didn't believe him and and wrote him off and everything. Yeah. So, but they didn't really focus on that aspect. Um, In fact, he, the, the wrap up for the movie is kind of funny because Sam is the only one that gets, any resolution the rest of the 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 good guys we've met along the way have just survived and they're all together at the end yeah yeah and they they have very a lot of open threads there and then there's there's that one little final scene right at the end where the after the hooded shadowy figures are talking about the humans that just embarking on their voyage and then they they cut back to deep underwater and we see another little green gelatinous egg and inside i swear to god is another nero 
I was gonna look it up because I was curious too as far who's who that was supposed because to that be. Because that looks exactly. like Nero. It's got the same nose and eyes as far as I can tell. And it may have been. And it makes sense that it would be you know oh you're still not rid of the guy. Mm-hmm. You know which you know which would be interesting because then it would mean that every time you kill somebody they get resurrected. Right. Which also ties in with Monat's little bit of wisdom earlier. It's like oh first time you've ever killed someone you'll have to do it again. Okay, so yeah, you're you know? right. It is Nero. Yeah. So. So that's interesting. So it's like you can't ever really get rid of anybody in this film. Or in this in this universe, I mean. And that's that's an interesting thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, overall, I mean, for I'll give this thing some points for originality. Mm-hmm. You know, a bunch of humans from throughout history get resurrected on this planet. There's all these geographical and physical limitations for them on this planet. Apparently, you know, by deduction, they're all immortal in some sense. Mm-hmm. You know, because apparently if you die, you can still come back again. And I don't know. I mean, there's there's just there's more going on that I would love to have learned about, I think. Yep. Different people coming from different times and just how they interact with each other is interesting. You know, it's a lot like of potential a, there. Well, it's like, a, you know, you have a concentration camp uh, victim. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey uh, Burchall's uh, Lev character, who, uh, you know, ends up being, you know, not really a badass, but a good fighter and a, you a know, hero in a, his own a, way. A, a steady hero in his way. And then there's Molly, who was, I am, oh, I can't remember quite how she described herself, but she was a member of an African tribe, you know, who had to deal with like slave traders you know, in, in, you know, colonial American times. And she like died on a slave ship. And died on a slave ship. And yeah, you know, no one had a happy death. No one had a happy death here, you know, and they all, you know, and they, all of them had some interesting backgrounds and stories. Would have been nice to, you know, get more, uh, get more of that. And it is funny that, yes, it's only Mr. Sam Clemens, Mark Twain, who gets the full story arc. And we don't even see him much until a third of the way in the movie. Yeah. But so it goes. They should have got to focus on something, and, yeah. and the steamboat was his thing. So I guess it was his say, thing, and it was a big deal. They wrapped that up, you know, and then that's all they had time for. <laughs> you know, presumably in the future, the steamboat will go somewhere. Right? Yeah, exactly. So I don't. They uh, they should have made one more, like a year later. You know, mm-hmm. you know happily like, ever like, after. Like River World, Everything's fine. River World Two, Electric Boogaloo. It would have exactly. been great. <laughs> they could have had phased plasma pulse rifles in the forty watt range. Could have done all kinds of cool stuff. You know. Wow. I don't know. Just saying, would have been fun. So this, uh, so our our new criteria, you know. So we have the th- the three main criteria: well written, well acted, and well produced. Mm-hmm. All right, I would say that this was decently written. Mm-hmm. I would say that it is decently acted, mm-hmm. and I would say that it's decently produced. So, by, overall, by that criteria, I would say that I would would recommend watching this once. Yeah, I, I'd say overall. This is average. Yeah. For I mean, it's like I said, it didn't wow me. It's like I didn't expect to be wowed. It was, you know, it was an adequate production. It's like C plus to B minus, you know, like it's in that ballpark. You know, it's watchable, it's enjoyable. It was a good watch once, but you'll probably have the same kind of questions or or, or thoughts we had as far as like this could have been a, a bigger thing and done well, you know, if they continued to make more. It won't leave you as satisfied as you'd like to be, but you know. But it was interesting to think about. 
like James Cameron said, sometimes it's the thing that you don't say and don't reveal that leaves you on the edge of your seat. And they were trying to do that. Yeah. So, you know, they can hopefully get, you know, funding to do another one. But we'll, we'll use our own imaginations to finish the story. We'll just have to fill in the blanks. All right. So that's a wrap for uh, this week of Complimentary Cinema here on the O&M Stockroom. We're your hosts, uh, Brian McGarry. And Ken O'Malley. And you can uh, tune in every Wednesday on YouTube or Google or Apple or Spotify and check out our latest podcast. Um, if you have uh, any suggestions for films that we should look at, please uh, drop us a line. And uh, all for now. Mm-hmm.